following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. Good morning, everybody. My name is Patrick. If we've never met, I'm one of the pastors and elder here at Faith Bible Church. I get to lead and shepherd our music ministry, which is a joy. But you might know me from such famous projects as the Old Testament walkthrough videos, (laughs) which I get all the credit for, but they're really creations of Daniel Reimer, my man. And hey, listen, I've been asked a lot. There's a whole playlist of all of these, and this week there'll be all nine in a playlist on YouTube, so you can get to them, okay? They will be compiled, and and you can use that as you study your your Old Testament. Hasn't this journey through the Old Testament been good, edifying? Are we hitting our, our goal? Are we getting after it? Are you getting that big picture view of the Old Testament? Do you love your Bible more? Do you love that Old Testament narrative more? more? More than that, do you have a magnified view of our King? Faithful God, same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah? Did we hit it? That was the goal. All right, last stop in our journey, the book of Esther. So go there, and while you go there, let me ask a few questions to stir our hearts. Have you, church family, lost heart at all in the dark world that you live? Lost heart in in doing good, even, as the Bible says. Is your spirit heavy in the darkness of your workplace, your school environment, maybe even your own home? Esther will help you persevere, reminding you that God is at work even when we can't detect it. Or have you become complacent, American Christians, sitting back into that go-with-the-flow mentality and unwilling to take godly risks for the glory of Christ? Let this story stretch you. It's been stretching me. It's going to stretch us to trust our God and be bold in living for Him because, and here's what I'm going to drive at, God providentially preserves His people even in the midst of the mess So, FBC, and here's the application I want to go after, let's take risks for his glory. Yeah? All right. Four verses, two main points, but first, I would like to set the stage. Now, in my house, we set a lot of stages in our living room. It's just what my kids have been subject to. We do Bible lessons. And so, here's a picture of one of the more recent stage productions, by the way. Those are my four girls. I think this is a combination of Frozen and whatever episode has the Ewoks in it. But they're always, sometimes they take multiple days to to come together, but they're always like a summary of whatever movie they're trying to communicate. And I, probably doing a poor job, am going to try and do the same. So let me set the stage a little bit, okay? Hopefully these won't be distracting, but but hopefully help us as we get towards applying God's word. But you need a big picture of Esther, So I'm going to use all my acty-schmacty skills and try to put the story in front of you from beginning to end so that we see God's providence in this book and his faithfulness to his people and then dig into those few verses to get that application out, okay? Will you give me a little bit more time in the intro? I'm going to set the stage. Here we go. All right. First, let's go to the map. Geography. We're no longer over here in the promised land area near the Mediterranean, right? We're out here in the middle of what is now the Persian Empire at this time, in the city of Susa. Not Rob and Heidi Susa. That would be Susa, for clarity. Um, 
And, and, and you heard it in the video. The return takes place, but it takes place in phases. And, 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 and this is something I had to wrap my brain around. Not all the Jews return. Esther shows us Jews that are still out here in Persia under Persian rule. But the, we're in 480s BC. That's our time period, okay, in this story. The, the Jews return from Babylon, okay, and even the temple is rebuilt. But you got all these Jews still out here in Persia. And what does it look like? It's dark. There's volatile leadership, immorality everywhere, and the people of God are facing annihilation. We'll hear that in the story. But here's the beauty of the book of Esther. Though God, you may know this, Esther's the book where God's name isn't mentioned even once. He's seemingly unseen, and yet his providence is apparent in every single detail. So, let's meet the players. I'm going to try and do this well here. Center stage. Esther and Mordecai. Say those names with me. All right, these are our heroes, okay? They're both Jewish. They're living in Susa. And their parents would have been in the Babylonian captivity. Esther is the most beautiful woman in the land. That's what gets her into the king's palace as the queen. What? You're going to hear that in the story. She's an orphan, and she has been adopted by her cool uncle. That's, that's these, okay? Mordecai. And, and he takes care of Esther. That's our first two. Now, the Persian ruler. King Ahasuerus, it's a very strange name, or as he's known in history by his Greek name, this is his scepter, by the way, just go with me. <laughs> he's known by his Greek name in history as, anybody know? Xerxes, let's say that one together, <gasps> Xerxes, I love that, okay, we'll put you right there. He's an arrogant, rage-filled, drunken king who falls in love, if you can call it that, with Esther and makes her his queen, unknowingly bringing a Jew into the royal Persian palace. Whoa. And lastly, our villain. (laughs) Haman. Everybody say, boo. Okay, this guy is power-hungry, high-ranking official who, upon being disrespected by Mordecai, turns on this guy, goes to the king, makes a, makes a decree take place that, sla- that, that says we're going to slaughter not only Mordecai, but all the Jews in the land. That's the big conflict of, 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 of Esther, the book of Esther. But you got to know the, the, the background behind these guys because it's hundreds of years old, this conflict. Mordecai is a Benjamite. He's a, son of, he's a descendant of Saul. He's a Jew. Haman, chapter 3 tells us, is an Agagite. Sound familiar? Right? So if you remember Nigel's message, these are the Amalekites, and they were cursed of God. Saul was supposed to slaughter all of them, but he doesn't. He disobeys. What does he do? He brings that, that Amalekite king who captive. What was his name? Agag. And then Samuel, in 1 Samuel 15, he, there's that crazy scene where he comes in and writes Saul's wrong and hacks Agag to pieces. That's the family history behind these two. So Haman, is a, when it comes to Mordecai, he's a little bit like the Amalekite Inigo Montoya. Are you with me on that? He's like, my name is Haman the Agagite. You hacked my great-grandfather to pieces. He's just say it with me. Prepare to die. Yeah. So, and it looks like Haman's going to get his way. The king says, sure, kill all the Jews. Done deal. Satan's 
taking another stab at God's messianic plan to bring the Messiah through the line of David. But what we'll see is that God providentially preserves his people and nothing can get in the way of that. Which brings us to chapter 4. In a conversation via messenger between Mordecai and Esther in which Mordecai begs Esther to plead with the king for her people. And Esther just has just replied to Mordecai, if I go into the presence of the king and he doesn't bless me with his scepter, I'm going to die. That's what the law says. So read along with me as I read out loud. Esther chapter 4 verses 13 through 16. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. He says, Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Verse 15, Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She says, Go! Assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Don't know about you, but as a kid, I was not a big risk taker. I was definitely the kid that had to be bribed with money to go on the roller coaster. True story. But you, as you grow up, you realize risk is just a part of our existence as human beings because we don't know the future. What college to go to? What job to pursue? Should I marry this person? Should I invest in this business? And there's risk. Why? Because we don't know the outcome. God, however, does. And for us who are in him, though those risks are real, and can be costly, their impact is ultimately minimized in light of the fact that he has promised and committed to preserving his people. It doesn't mean that every risk is good, okay? I've seen Christians throughout the years take these radical risks, but they lack wisdom and actual gospel purpose. But before we write it off and justify our comfort zones... Let's just think about a perspective here. We take risks all the time, don't we? We take risks for much lesser things than, than God's purposes. Even putting our lives in danger, you skydivers and adrenaline junkies, right? For your fun and pleasure, how much more should we be taking calculated godly risks for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom? Right? And this is the kind of risk that Esther takes, putting her life on the line. So let's walk through our passage, seeing God's providential preservation of his people, even in the midst of the mess. And we're going to drive towards that application question. Will we, like Esther, be willing to take risks for his glory? Ready? In these four verses, I want to point to one fact and one action. So that, those are the two points of the message. Fact, number one, your life is the Lord's. Point number two will be action. Spend it for his glory. Your life is the Lord's. Spend it for his glory. So point number one, your life is the Lord's. This is the truth 
that Esther needed to hear. Her life is the Lord's and the life of every Jew in that land who's in danger is the Lord's. May we never forget that we are in the hands of our Heavenly Father and it's the best place to be. Verses 13 through 14, we see kind of three aspects of God's sovereign control. And this is what Mordecai reminds Esther of and we need to be reminded of as well. Letter A in your outline. God is in control of your circumstances. Verse 13, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. What does he say? Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. Esther has been sovereignly placed into the palace. And her Jewish nationality may not yet be discovered, but she's a Jew. And the decree says, all Jews will be destroyed. Mordecai doesn't want her to be under the impression that she's just always going to fly under the radar. She's living in the midst of very volatile circumstances. For example, if you read chapters 1 and 2, you know the circumstances that bring about Esther's being crowned as queen. Because the previous queen, uh, her name was Vashti, refuses to flaunt her beauty at a party that all of Xerxes' drunken friends, and he wants her to come out and flaunt her beauty, and she says no. He goes on a rage, he deposes her, and then goes on a year-long spree to replace her by parading thousands of women before himself. Like a perverted beauty pageant. So this isn't like a guy-meets-girl love story. This is disgusting. But right there, in that disgustingness, who's at work? Our faithful king. Out of thousands of women, Xerxes sees Esther and he goes, wow, right? Stunned by her beauty. She's the one. That is none other than God's sovereign work. Even in the midst of that yuck. How about this mindset that sometimes we get into? Do you ever find yourself deciding for God that your circumstances, where you're at right now in life, is not conducive to his work? You, you know Romans 8.28 and you say to yourself, well, yes, you know, God, God's working good towards me. Uh, in all my circumstances, all things together for good. And then the minute you face that difficult circumstance, immediately we question his goodness. On our beach baptism day, when uh, we went down to the coast for those baptisms, awesome time, but my wife and kids ended up on the side of the 15 freeway with a flat tire. And you know where I was? Here. <laughs> and I got, I got the text message just before I'm coming up to lead the last song. And immediately, this is what my heart's doing as a husband and a father. I want to take the reins of this situation. I want to be the hero. I want to save my family. But I'm helpless. I cannot fully guarantee my family's safety. Neither can you. I need to entrust them to the Lord. And the Lord has a plan. It's better than yours. The Lord had a plan that day. It was called the Hunter Family. They were driving down the freeway. Sarah, with her eagle eyes, spotted my family. Chris turned his car around, got back to my family, changed that tire like a boss, and they were on their way. <laughs> they made it to the beach before I did. It was awesome. I love the body of Christ. That should have been an easy one for me. 
to just trust the Lord. But there I am wrestling with it. What life circumstances are you struggling with that you need to entrust to Him? Because they get much worse than that, don't they, in this life? Loss of a job, loss of a friend, uncaring kids, financial hardship, failing marriage, oppressive, unbelieving co-workers. If you are in Christ... God is actively preserving your life, loving you, protecting you, caring for you, even in the midst of that mess. So instead of desperately grasping for control in those situations, we must trust our Heavenly Father. Your life is the Lord's, and He is in control of your circumstances. And let her be, God is in control of your salvation. Your salvation, and I mean coming to Christ, but also his preservation of you, his safekeeping of you to eternity. Mordecai says to Esther in verse 14, look at it. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. Seems kind of harsh. But what you're hearing here is Mordecai standing on the promise of the Abrahamic covenant that both of them would know well. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, you can look at it, but it's God's commitment to Abraham and his descendants to establish, bless, and protect them. Mordecai loves Esther like a daughter, but greater than his confidence that she will do the right thing in this situation is his confidence that his God will do as he says he will do, preserve his people, regardless of her intervention. I love what Job says to God in Job 42, verse 2. I know that you can do all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Psalm 121, verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. God is relentless in his covenant love for his people. And no exile No foreign king, no scheme of the devil, not even Israel's disobedience is going to deter his love. It's like a father's love for a child. (sighs) Natalie and I right now are working through some tough times with our youngest. She's only three. (laughs) And everyone in the room is like, Remington, she's so cute. And then there's like a few children's ministry workers here who are like, yep. I get it. And and some days, and this is true, some days we're just brought to tears. Just battling through some of those young kid raising stuff. But I got to tell you, there is no amount of disobedience or stiff neck rebellion or intentional eye gouges because she does that. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing could deter my care, provision, protection for that little girl. When the Lord saves you, he brings you into his family. He lavishes his grace on you. He makes you a joint heir with Jesus. Romans 8, 17. And the work he starts in you, what does Paul say in Philippians 1? He will bring to completion in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your failures. 
You can trust him to perfect his work in you until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Mordecai here, he knows the covenant-keeping character of his God. And he stands confident that salvation will come to his people. Your life is the Lord's. He's in control of your circumstances. He's in control of your salvation and letter C. God is in control of your status. He's in control of your status. End of verse 14. Mordecai levels that pointed question at Esther, and it's kind of the famous quote from this book. He says, And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? This is the moment in the conversation where I'm guessing that Esther's heart tips towards the only option that she can do here. She can do no other. Now, it's not easy. She said in verse 11, I go into the king unsummoned. Is that a word? Unsummoned? I hope so. What's going to happen? Death. And then she adds, and we don't know why, but she has not been summoned by the king in the last 30 days. So for all she knows, his favor towards her is waning like it did for Vashti. But when it comes to finding favor in the eyes of the king, this woman has a perfect record so far. And even Mordecai, he, he says, who knows? Uh, who knows? I don't think he's saying it like that. I think he's like, this is the moment, Esther. Okay? Don't you see it? Don't you see? God has given you this status for this moment? For much of my life, I shied away from conversations about my acting career. And if you don't know that about me, I had about 15 plus years of my life in the entertainment industry. I shied away from conversations because I always struggled with my identity. I wanted to think of myself as a sinner saved by grace and that's it. But, but being an actor, so many of my friends and people around me that I didn't even know would say, oh, that's Patrick, he's the actor guy, and also, side note, he loves Jesus. And that would mess with my brain, so I would shy away from conversations. It was Shannon Hurley... <laughs> on a boat in the jungle somewhere who challenged me on this and the gist of it, at the end of it, he, he leveled this challenge at me and he said, Patrick, if the Lord has given you a platform, use it for him. And if you know Shannon, it wasn't like a real friendly challenge. He was, <laughs> he was in my kitchen on that boat. And it, it affected me. It stuck with me. I now utilize people's interest in that aspect of my life to be segues for the gospel and even discipleship of other young people that have interest in that. Let's turn it to our own hearts. What platform have you been given that you need to better use for his purposes? What, what status have you been given by the Lord for such a time as this? Students with athletic skill Tell your teammates about the God you love more than sports and bring them to youth group. Businessmen with connections and access to resources. Come on, guys. Funnel that money to missions. Pay off our future worship center. I said it. Gospel, kingdom, advancing God's purposes. Come on. If you're one of those online influencers or have any, you know, you have the attention of people online, share truth, people. Create content that has eternal value. 
How about this one? Moms who have the ear of other moms. And some of you don't even pick up on this, but when you discover it and you've got moms listening to you, give them humble, honest, biblical advice, please. Help each other avoid the wisdom of Instagram. Open your Bibles together. Pray together. Whatever smarts or skills or earthly fame you have, God gave you that status. He put you into that place. Use it for his purposes. That's all I'm saying. Esther, who would otherwise be persecuted by Persian royalty, what? Becomes Persian royalty. Whoa! And now she stands at this crossroads with an entire race of people unknowingly depending on her for their lives. So what will she do? Well, she takes action, doesn't she? And that's our second point. The action. Spend it for his glory. Your life is the Lord's. Spend it for his glory. If God is in control of all aspects of your life, and he is committed to preserving his people in all circumstances, come on, let's take risks for his glory. Esther counts the costs, aligns her heart with God's, and she says, it's go time, right? And this is where you get to see an awesome example of a young woman taking God-honoring risks, going God's way. Verses 15 through 16, it's a lot of action. So I'm going to give you three actions that I see involved in godly risk-taking because spending your life for his glory requires that you... Letter A, lean on God's people. Lean on God's people. Verse 15, Esther tells Mordecai, assemble all the Jews in Susa. Seek the Lord together. And, you know, so you're in a time of no cell phones. So this would have been like one big giant, uh, what do you call those old things we used to do? Prayer chains that goes throughout the city. The Jews are already in turmoil, remember. They just heard the decree of their own death. And that day is coming, but here, piercing through the darkness, is this glimmer of hope as Esther is calling all hands on deck. In the first church plant that I was a part of, and Natalie and I were part of a couple of church plants, but the first one was in Hollywood, California, and we started with a small group of believers meeting in a living room on the east side of the city. i never forget those early days, fledgling church, taking risks, hoping for God to bless it. And there would be these visitors who would come to that meeting from the home church. And they'd just be there to pray with us, listen to what's going on, give us that support. We felt such support just by their presence with us and as they joined their hearts with us to pray. Believers in Jesus are meant to depend on one another. Ultimately, we depend on Christ. But it is the church That is the context in which God equips and sanctifies and protects us. We will not survive in this declining culture. We will not face the hardships that come with living in a broken world. And we will certainly not successfully take these risks for the glory of God apart from the help of the people sitting alongside you. So get more comfortable with leaning on each other. And yes, it is scary. They're gonna fail you. People have a habit of doing this. I'm going to fail you. 
Get over it. Drop your pride. Get out of your comfort zone. God calls us to this. And go and lean on the body of Christ. Did you notice how many studies and outreach opportunities we squeezed onto that one women's ministry flyer? (laughs) I am so thankful for how well-equipped and active in service that our women are at FBC. Can I just urge you, if you have not yet benefited from any of our equipping or studies, to go. Because you've thought about it, you need it. You're desperate for that support. Go connect. And then, as God brings maturity in your life and equips you, go take Esther-like risks for God's glory in the context of the church and the community around us. Whatever time frames you have and whatever stage of life you're in, there are opportunities. Look for them. There's discipleship everywhere you look in this church and people want it bad. There's event planning and evangelism and counseling. There are a ton. Look up. There are a ton of new opportunities in children's ministry right now as we head towards our new property that are just crying out for awesome godly gals and guys too to come and serve. So go for it. Your life is the Lord's. And if you're going to spend it for his glory, you must lean on God's people. Let her be. Submit to God in prayer. Submit to God in prayer. Esther says this in the middle of 16, I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. So let me deal with this fasting thing because I'm saying prayer and the only thing it says is fasting. Fasting would have inevitably here, for the Jewish people for sure, have been accompanied by prayer. It's not mentioned, which I believe is another way the author of Esther, who we don't know, emphasizes the God at work behind the scenes. That's kind of what's going on in Esther. And you see his providence, right? But Esther for sure is asking the people to fast and submit this to the Lord. And then she's saying, I'm doing it too. And this is a must first step in taking God-honoring risks. We want his wisdom, his spirit to guide us. This is embarrassing, but I'm saying it because it's true. Sometimes I am just plowing through life. Ministry planning, parenting, discipling, shepherding. Without any thought to pray about it. To go and submit it to the Lord. And God has been patient with me, for sure. Gracious to me. But it is dangerous to live independent of his leading in my life. We must. I was at Chick-fil-A one time. One of my daughters, she wanted to go visit her friend when we got in the restaurant. And she just takes off. And the place is packed. You ever been in Chick-fil-A when it's packed? You can't see. And I lose her completely. Once I finally have her back, I get, down, I get down close to her and I take her chin and I say, listen to me, I'm okay with you going to visit your friends. But you need to come and ask me for first. For your safety, sweetheart. And you know what she's doing while I've got her chin here? She's going like this. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> got to keep track of her friends. You ever find yourself plowing forward with your plan 
putting prayer on the back burner, right? And God is there, ready, ready to care for you and so deeply loves you and wants to redirect you maybe or even keep you from some serious danger. And you just got your eyes on, you just got your eyes on what you want. Corrie Ten Boom, the godly woman who helped the Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust, she once asked, is prayer your steering wheel or what? Your spare tire. Ouch, Corey. Esther will not put her life on the line without first employing the support of her people and the help of her God. Listen to Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You better not walk out into this life every day without a constant dependence on your God through regular, intimate pursuit of Him in prayer. So we said, number one, your life is the Lord's. He's sovereign over all. So, point number two, spend your life for His glory and do it by leaning on God's people, submitting to God in prayer, and lastly, letter C, consider yourself the least. The least. This is a tough one. Esther's final words in the conversation, end of verse 16, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Well, this is a key risk to, this is a key to risk-taking for the glory of Christ. To count your life, your comfort, your reputation, least If it means God's purposes are being advanced, you must not think about God's purposes above your own. You must. 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul says, And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for who? Themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Esther went from a state of fearful concern for self to this bold commitment to the interests of others. This is is the Christ-like attitude we must have. It's the one that is all over the writing of Paul because this is how he lived. His exhortation to the Philippians, in Philippians 2, 3, he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Have that mind that's, that's in Christ, Paul tells the Philippians. Because we know the self-sacrificing work of Christ to save us, and God's eternal commitment to preserve us on into eternity, then we should, we should have that motivate us to be like him in our love and care for others. It's how the Apostle Paul approached ministry. So I'm just giving you a smattering of his quotes from the scriptures. But this is what he says to the Corinthians. He says, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for what? For your souls, he told the Corinthians. With Mordecai's help, Esther now sees the big picture. The people of Israel are in danger. If I risk my life, it could mean the salvation of my people. I'll take the risk. And if I perish, I perish. Jesus even says in John 15, 13, Greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friends. 
Okay, there's a story that I heard years ago, and it was in a sermon that I heard, a powerful parallel to the gospel. Here's how it goes. Two young brothers in Illinois who were playing on the sandbanks near a river when it started to rain. The boys run onto one of the banks, but the sand isn't solid, and they begin to sink. When the brothers didn't show up for dinner, their family and neighbors send out the search party. They get to the sandbank and discover the younger brother unconscious with only his head and hands above the sand. They begin frantically uh, taking the sand away from his body and he wakes up and they desperately ask him, where's your brother? And the boy replies, I'm standing on his shoulders. The older brother counted his younger brother's life more important than his own. And he risked it all, all the way to the point of death. This is how Esther was ready to sacrifice for her people. And it is how Christ perfectly sacrificed for the sins of mankind, for us. For the joy set before him, he endured that cross. Jesus spent himself for God's glory and the salvation of his people. His perfect life lived on our behalf. His sacrificial death to pay our sin penalty and then the resurrection from the grave, making a way for sinners who repent to be completely forgiven. If you've never experienced this relentless love of our faithful king, you will find no greater love. Though you try, so run to him if you have not trusted Christ. Repent of your sin. Trust in his work done on the cross and the resurrection from the the grave as the only way of salvation. And you will know the peace and joy of God's providential preservation of your life, even in the midst of whatever mess you face. Not just now, but for eternity. Okay, so you know how the story of Esther ends? It's okay, I'm going to tell you. With celebration. Here's what happens. Esther goes to the king, and instead of death, finds favor. Everybody say, woohoo! Thank you. In fact, he offers to grant any request she would make up to half the kingdom. She pleads for the life of her people. This reveals her Jewish nationality. And when the king learns that Haman is the one who made the decree to kill all of Esther's uh, people, he has him executed. And then our guy Mordecai actually gets brought into the palace to have greater power and with the king makes a new decree that all the Jewish people can defend themselves against anybody who would want to take their lives, so preserving God's people. And then they party. The annual feast of Purim is established in the book of Esther. Still celebrated by Jews today. A day to remember that what people like Haman intended for evil, what? God worked for good. Yes! Doesn't God's providential saving of you and preservation of your life in the midst of the trials that you face in this broken life, doesn't that evoke joy? It should be the first response of every believer, even in the midst of, midst of the tough stuff. It's why I love to be here with you. I really do. It's one of my favorite things in all the world. 
to sing the praises together of this God who is preserving our lives, who has saved us even in the midst of my mess. And for you to be reminding me regularly and kicking me out the door so that I would go spend my life for His glory. I need that. I need you. So that I can go and have that courage to take those God-honoring risks for His glory. So look at the bottom of your page. I'm going to keep it simple here. What risks will you take for the glory of God? Now think in terms of salvation and sanctification. This is what we build all ministry at FBC on. It's the right guide for risk-taking. See people come to Christ or become like Christ, right? So let me go through a bunch of categories, and these represent things that I am in the midst of praying through because I can't preach this without looking at my life and making sure I'm applying God's word to my own life. But think about these as categories, and maybe you write these down and pray through them to answer that big question. Risk your comfort. Go join the team down in Old Town to share Christ with folks on the street. If you haven't done it, go. Somebody just gave me a woo. Can I hear that again? Thank you. Um, How about if the only reason that you've not gone on a short-term missions trip is you hate travel, sign up. Book the flight. Another category reputation. And all of these categories um, can be risked in all of these scenarios. So as you hear them, think about the different ways that you could be taking risk. Your reputation. Have that gospel conversation with that relative or friend or coworker that you've built trust with, even if it forever changes your relationship with them. How about money? Now, okay, with wisdom and much godly counsel, consider repositioning your finances more for God's purposes. And maybe that's putting more toward our building project. Joking, not joking, but... Or or it could be giving money towards missions. Or more money towards missions. Or meeting a huge need of somebody who's hurting in the church family. Whatever it is. This is a good one for all of us. Your time. Risk your time. Now be faithful to your family. Be faithful to your job. Be faithful to use your gifts in the body of Christ to serve. But for all of us, there are, whoa, there are more hours in the day to take away from lesser things and apply them to eternal stuff. And here's a little hint. I've done this for myself and it hurts, so I apologize. Not really. This is God's word. here's a hint. Those hours that you could reposition are most often found when you're doing activities that only benefit you. And then you can't say it, looking at the book of Esther, you can't not say this. Risk your life. You're like, whoa, bro. Let me put it this way. Your life is not your own. It's the Lord's. Treat it that way. You will likely not face death like Esther did. But with however many days that he gives you, devote yourself to seek his will and not your own. And as you answer this big question for yourself today, this week, throughout your life, I wanted you to have those verses at the bottom of the page because 
That should be the great motivation. That should be the encouragement to take on this big risk. Look at Romans 8, 38 and 39. Paul says to the Romans, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from His love. So, take courage in the dark world that you're living and be bold to take some calculated, God-honoring risks for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, as I level such hard challenges to the church family, it's so difficult because in all of these areas, I am lacking. You have been gracious to us in the ways that we settle into comfort zones. You have been gracious to me and long-suffering as I have chosen the easier routes in life because of my desire to stay out of harm's way or be quote-unquote safe. But you know, God, that you have us in your hands. You also know that we're frail. And so we come to you as a church family and we ask for your help and your strength and, and, and your boldness to guide us so that in a God-honoring way, we would step out and take risks for your glory knowing that you will preserve us. You have done that throughout redemptive history and you will keep your promise to the end. And so we thank you for that and ask you for your help all together as a church family and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.